safe space where healing might take place where everyone is valued. Giving tools to maintain where equity matters. Less talk, more action, where anyone is welcome. Don't send them home packing, this is strong talk. Where conversation pops off, speak life, reflect hope, promote choice and love, folk. Strong talk, real talk, no jokes, recovery, culture, community. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Strong Talk, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of equity, diversity, and family as it pertains to mental health and addictions. This is a space committed not only to discussing challenges within our system, but to explore and create space for solutions. I'm your host, Vic Armstrong. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our journey. And as I am joined today by my friend, Tanja Miles. Tanja is a, is a peer counselor, a community activist, and subject matter expert at Set Free Addiction Recovery Services, LLC. Tanja, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Vic. Absolutely. You are such a busy lady. So I'm glad we were able to get you on today because you have so much going on with your with your work, with your ministry, with the work you do in the behavioral health space and uh, just uh, the work you do across the country. So I really appreciate having you on um, today. Uh, I would love if you just take a, a just a minute or two just to tell us your story, because I think that's such an important piece of the backdrop to all the other work that you do. If, if you don't mind, I know you get asked about th this all the time, but could you tell us just a little bit about your story? What, what brings you to this space? Well, first of all, thank you for having me in this space. I mean, you know, you're so legit and I'm just grateful oh. that you asked me to be a guest, which who's going to say no to you? So, <laughs> okay with that. But yeah, um, uh, again, you know, thank you for that introduction. And uh, unfortunately, you know, my story is of hope and encouragement. And I guess I say unfortunately, because people always ask me, Tanjus, how, how's business or how's things going? And, and I'm like, unfortunately it's going good, but um, I'm grateful that, you know, I am still alive to uh, share my story uh, of hope and uh, courage and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, you know, I'm a, um, from Louisiana. I am my daddy's daughter and I'll talk more about that later. Um, when I was seven, uh, I was molested and that spawned a series of events of uh, mental health challenges, behavior issues, substance abuse, a whole plethora of things. Um, the first time I tried to kill myself, I was 13. I ended up in a hospital getting my stomach pumped. It was back in the day, you know, I remember, you know, lying in the hospital bed with those tubes going down my throat. Uh, down my nose to my throat to my stomach to pump all the pills that I had taken out and I remember you know family members saying Tanja when you get out you just got to trust God you got to go to church more which I did um, I got worse and uh, nothing you know nothing no shade on the on the church not for right mm -hmm. now anyway but um, you know back in the day that's just something that you did not talk about in my family or you know in the African American community and look, you know, my, my, my big challenge is, is that my parents who are not around, you know, I, I feel sorry for them the most because they did not know what to do with their young daughter who had all these behavior health issues and challenges. And so they did the best that they could. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, started using drugs and which was just recreational drugs. And before you know it, it was, you know, from marijuana. And I said I would never do crack cocaine because I was so much better than that. And before it was all over, I was a straight up crackhead. Um, I'm a three-time suicide attempt survivor. Um, I hate addiction. My mom was also an alcoholic. My dad was a functioning addict. So I know firsthand how it affects the person individual. 
Um, I have 30, uh, I think it's 37 years now uh, from being in recovery. And um, to be honest, just got properly diagnosed about seven and a half years ago with having PTSD. And mm -hmm. can I tell you, Vic, when the pain finally had a name, everything made sense. And so, you know, I made a vow to God, if he would help me, I would help others. Cause I'm gonna be honest. I didn't think I'd never get out of that black hole. Um, I didn't think I would ha live to have this many birthdays. So I'm very open and honest about sharing my story because I want people to know that there's hope. They don't have to suffer in silence. The struggle is real, but so is recovery. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That, that, uh, well, I, 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 you know, I struggle to even know where to, where to jump in because your story is so rich. Uh, but you did strike something that that's a bit of a, um, you know, it's one of those things that just always sparks interest in me with, you know, just, just to have conversation and explore other people's thoughts on this, because, you know, when you said um, once the pain had a name um, and I, I don't, I don't want to misquote you, but that it was, it was, that made it easier for you to cope with it, to deal with it. Um, and you also touched on some things about the intersectionality of mental health challenges, having mental health challenges and being a person of color and um, being a you know part of a community um, that may identify differently to suicide and, and addictions and things than maybe other communities do. And I guess the point I'm getting to is, um, you know, like you, faith was, it was a big part of my upbringing. I was the you know, son, son of a pastor. Um, so faith played a, played a huge role, uh, but at the same time, the faith-based community and the, and the Black church in particular um, has done a lot of damage in the Black community as it pertains to mental health and as it pertains to suicide. And I guess the thing I want you to talk a little bit about is in our community, oftentimes we will give a name to things, but we give the wrong name. And then we treat it the wrong way. You know, we labeled suicide as other people's problem and not a black problem. Um, and so much of that seems to permeate how we have these conversations in the, you know, in black and brown communities. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, um, it, it still pains me when I hear, you know, when someone who has a mental health issue in the faith-based community uh, and I'm going to say back then, we used to tell people, you just got a spirit on you. You know, mm -hmm. that's the devil. You know, I think that's one of the most degrading things we can say. And look, most people don't understand maybe what they're saying. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But um, that still is in my head. That mm -hmm. it's a spirit that is demonic. Wow. And we yeah. wonder why people don't come forth or, you know, come out, if you will, and talk yeah. about their struggle. Um, you know, I can tell you, you know, scripture or emphasis in the Bible, you know, where, you know, folks had, you know, you know, bouts of depression, or anxiety and things of that nature. And so for us to call it a spirit and say it's demonic yeah. is one of the reasons why people don't come forth. And so I think conversations like this and you being a PK kid and and in the space that you do and, and talking about suicide, I think it makes it more palatable. Yeah. Uh, telling a person that, you know, if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. You know, those are some harsh words. And I'm going to yeah. be honest, as you can tell, it still triggers me today. So yeah. I'm glad that, you know, you are having these conversations and we're really addressing hurt in the, in, in, in the faith-based community. Because you're right, you know, 
we're the worst, you know, and because we tell people, you know, we're going to pray with you, which is great. But then how about we also have the power to refer? How about, you know, we tell them about organizations and and, and, uh, resources that can get them the help that they need? Because, again, I always say this. If somebody came to our church or came to our, you know, our faith based communities and said, hey, look, I'm having an issue with my chest and my left, you know, my left is hurting. I'm having some shortness of breath. Yeah, we'll say let us pray, but we'll also call say let's call nine one one or go see a doctor. Yeah, yeah, it should be the yeah. same instance when it comes to you know mental health challenges or mental yeah. wellness or mental health. Yeah, I love the way you frame that though. You have the power to refer because we look at re- you know making a referral as I somehow failed because I can't fix it. And I run into a lot of faith leaders who feel like well they came to me I need to fix this and they fix it with the only thing they know to do mm-hmm. that is to pray. Um, and you know like you I. I I have I have believe in the power of prayer, um, but uh, you can't church away mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. And um, prayer doesn't negate the need to talk to a, a, a therapist or a clinician. You can have Jesus and have a therapist. Um, and I think that's one of the, the things that uh, people in, in our in our community struggle with. The other thing that um, that is always kind of a trigger for me is when I hear people say, I know you've heard it. What happens in this house stays in this house. And it is well-intentioned. I heard it growing up. And for me, it was okay. Um, but it was okay because the house was a safe space. Mm. What happens when the house is not a safe space? And it was safe for me in terms of I wasn't, you know, I wasn't starving. I wasn't abused. It wasn't safe for me, though, in terms of being able to talk about what I was feeling emotionally. Because as a young Black boy, I wasn't permitted to do that. And mm. that's another conversation I often have with um people in black and brown communities is when you say what happens in this house stays in this house, you are really teaching um, our young people in particular not to reach out for help. And that's troubling. Yeah, it is troubling. And and look, we know we can say why historically we, you know, we were told that because of trauma, trust and traditions. And I get all that. But at the end of the day, you're right. You know, as I'm looking at my rug, you know, it's almost like, you know, we were told just sweep it under the rug. Well, at the end of the day, it's only so much sweeping I can do under that rug before I yeah. start and everybody in the house. Yeah, That's a whole preach right there because trauma affects everyone. And so we have to address it. I believe that healing has to start in the house first, to be honest. I think we got it a little backwards. That, you yeah. know, we want, you know, you know, the power to refer is key. Yes, we need to have those resources ready, but we have to heal the house. And so, you know, for, for so long, you know, we were told not to feel. You're right. You know, that's why white, white people do that. You know, mm-hmm. we don't do that. We don't go tell them people our business. You know, so I, I think that now that we're having those conversations and letting people know it's okay to feel, baby, you're human. You know, yeah, yeah you're resilient, you know, in the world that we live in now. Yes, you have to, you know, keep, you know, how they used to tell us, you know, you got to keep your cards yep. up to your chest. Don't let people see what's going on. But it also has taught us to, you know, just really stay within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I don't know how to help me, it should be okay for me to reach out and ask for help. And when right. the faith community know who are the people in your neighborhood, you know, the Bible says we're working together with God. So we all need each other. We need those organizations. We need resources like never before. Because look, you know, you know, as being a pastor, it's a hard road, you know, when you are trying to help someone and you pray for them and then they need other resources and you don't know what to do. That's yeah. 
when it's, yeah. it's, it's a challenge. So the more resources we know, the more we know who are the people in the neighborhood, the more we can tell people, yep, you need to call 988 and 911. I think the bell yeah. off, you know, it's going to be for our community. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know in the work that you do, and, and the same with the work that, that, that I do, um, you encounter a lot of faith leaders. And sure. uh, one of the things I have learned is that for a lot of faith leaders, they haven't dealt with their own trauma. Mm. And because of that, they struggle with helping other people with their trauma. They may go so far with inviting resources into that church community, but then they will stop it uh, because it is a little too close to home. And so I, I still think we have a lot of work to do, too, in, in educating our faith leaders about acknowledging and naming their own trauma and being able to move past it. Yeah, you know, because, you know, pastors do amazing work in clergy through whatever, you know, that looks like in your community your faith community, do a lot of work, you know, and they take on a lot of, you know, folks, you know, challenges and trauma and problems. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I'm a military girl. I believe that we have to lead by example. I think that, you know, when, you know, leaders in the faith community, you know, just say, hey, look, you know, I'm human. You know, I yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 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 love, you know, I, I love my spirituality, uh, but it's okay to have a script and a scripture you know, in the morning, yeah. that's okay. And I think that when more faith-based leaders really, you know, talk from their own lived experience and it could be from a family perspective as well, I think it will make those who they serve um, more um, more comfortable with talking yeah. about their issues and their challenges. Because at the end yeah. of the day, we all got them. That's right. That's right. You know, what? one of the things too that you are... Um, so good at and uh, and I think that people know you for is, is is being very candid not in an offensive way but in a way that says this work is not always pretty but we have to acknowledge and call it what it is and one of the ways that you've done that recently is uh, you you put together and released a a video mm -hmm. um and it is it is very candid and I, I you know I, I we we weren't able to play it on the on this podcast because a lot of people listen to the podcast. And without context, it is it's probably very difficult for people to follow the video. Uh, but um, but I welcome you to share with people how they can access it. But I did want you to talk a little bit, bit, bit about the genesis of that video. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, I realize is that, you know, and I know people say that, you know, we have to tell our own narrative, but we do. And to be honest, I know you said it was, you know, candid. To me, it was almost Kool-Aid um, mm. because I really wanted to be really raw. And uh, but to me, you know, suicide is real. Um, outcomes like mine is a good one, but there are so many other outcomes that are not like mine. And I know that in the video, I wanted to do something that was raw, that was real, but also engaging and that was thought provoking. But then mm -hmm. also, you know, hopefully encourage people to have a conversation about, you know, about suicide. Um, or the lack thereof, because I know at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. And so um, when I had this vision in my head, I knew that it had to be peers. It had to be mm -hmm. people like me who had lived experience to be a part of the whole dynamics. And I think we came up with a good product. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. Um, I'm excited about that, but I'm more excited that it's, you know, it's sparking people to have a conversation um, yeah. because I know some people... You know, and we did tell people, hey, this is this disclaimer, you might be triggered. 
Um, one of the instances did not end as I guess most people thought it would, but that's the reality of suicide and why we have to have the conversation and why we have to prevent it. And look, I'm always looking for ways to be creative and to be innovative. And I know music is, is one that, you know, folks love and that, mm -hmm. you know, visual and, you know, so look, and, and, and we see stuff all, all on TV all the time that's, you know, raw and real. And those are the things that Netflix or other streaming, you know, devices, those things people, you know, click onto. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was something that was authentic, that was real, but then also at the end of the day, gave somebody hope. And uh, that's how we ended that video. And um, I'm super excited that we did it. And I'm super excited. The outcomes have really, really, really been amazing. Now, and can you tell people how to find it? What would they Google if they're looking for? Yeah, all they have to do is go to No Judgment, No Stigma, and they can get it from there. It's You can go to No Judgment, No Stigma YouTube. You can go to the No Judgment, No Stigma.com, or you can go to No Judgment, No Stigma on IG, and you can look at it. And we want people to share it, and we want people to have conversations about, you know, suicide prevention and mental health and also substance abuse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for putting that out there. Um, you know, so so much of um, what you bring to the table. We look at we look at your work, uh, and I should say I because I, I should speak for me and not speak for other people. But I look at the work that you do, um, and I look at your passion, and you you make it look easy um, because you. Uh, you stay very busy. The, your work is consistent. Your message is consistent. Um, but I can only imagine the challenges, not only of navigating a mental health uh, system as someone seeking services, but also navigating a mental health system as someone who is an advocate, who's a peer, who's a, a, a voice, a leadership voice in this space, that there are additional challenges being a Black female um, in, in doing all of those things, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Are there unique challenges in navigating mental health services as being a black female? And are there unique challenges in this advocacy advocacy space? Oh, you know there are challenges, and you know, and 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 to be honest, because I work in this space, I thought I was safe. Um, I'm not. Um, uh, for example, um, you know, I've been. I've seen, you know, racism, you know, at its finest. And uh, I've been on that receiving end. I've been on the receiving end of classism, racism, sexism. Uh, unfortunately, I check a lot of boxes, you know, uh, being black, being a female, being a veteran, being a person who had a mental health diagnosis and also in recovery. And um, again, I, I really thought that, you know, I was pretty much safe until I got a service dog. And mm -hmm. uh, I decided to get a service dog because I started to do EMDR therapy, which was a game changer. You mm -hmm. know, for me, Vic, you know, you know this as a mental health professional, you know, trauma is no joke. It's a beat. Right. It's a beat. And it'll come back to bite you in the butt. And so um, when I got my service dog, Mitzi, uh, again, I thought I was in a safe space, but I got judged on a whole different level because people would look at me and, and then people would ask, even though they're not supposed to, why you have a service dog? What's your diagnosis? What's your, uh, no, the, the, the one is, uh, what's your problem? Uh, uh, what's your wow. disability? You know, just stuff like that. And it brought on a whole new um, 
stigma, if you will, for me. And so I'm already black. I'm already a female. People know that I have PTSD. And most time I think people even kind of come at me a little different because I, I guess they think I'm going to set it off. But if I set it off, it ain't going to be my PTSD. It's going to be all me. Trust me on that one. And um, so, you know, you know, those things, you know, are still I still have to address and deal with even today. And um, I'm not going to lie until you it gets easier um, mm. because I might make it look good or I might not react to it at the time. But then, you know, for me, it's, you know, later when I have to just process what happened. And right. uh, it's not pretty. And so, but it also motivates me more to fight, to reduce stigma, you know, and that's why I'm so candid about, you know, the good, the bad and the goofy because it's real. But I do believe that we can eradicate stigma having conversations like this yeah. and just really being open and honest. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned uh, being a veteran. We hadn't even touched on that. That's a whole other conversation that we could have around your you know, your service. And thank you so much for your service as a veteran. Uh, but but I'm also, it's also interesting to me when we talk about um, trauma, you, re you reflect on the trauma really pre your military experience, correct? Yeah, it was pre-military. A lot of it was pre-military. I did experience some trauma, um, you know, when I was uh, in the military. And look, you know, I, I guess I, I, I kind of just slid it like, oh, some trauma. Somebody asked me, Last week, they said, what's the most traumatic thing that has happened to you? And, you know, Vic, um, I couldn't do one thing. Um, mm -hmm. It was several. It was that complex trauma. You know, the hits just kept coming. And um, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a miracle. My brain is not as, you know, challenged as it already is, not just from the trauma, but, you know, um, from the drugs um, because the drugs were intense and they were heavy and, um, just the behavior that I, mm. you know, that I did as well. And so, um, you know, the military was one of the things that just really helped save my life. And, uh, I love being a soldier. I will go back today if I needed to. And, um, you know, I, I love my country. Look, and I'll, in spite of everything that we have going on in our community, in our country, you know, you know, this is still, I'll still defend it because this is where my family and friends are. And I mm. still believe the idea that, you know, people can live the best version of their lives while they're here on earth. And so um, the military taught me structure. I love teamwork. Uh, my dad was not happy that I went in because I think that he thought that, you know, my daughter, she going to get court-martialed because she don't know how mm. to shut her mouth. But um, again, it's some of the best days of my life. Yeah. And uh, and, and and still to this day, I work with veterans, and um, I'm grateful. Yeah, and we and we are all grateful that you work in that space as well. Um, in the in the few minutes we have left, what advice would you give to someone who feels like because of the trauma they've experienced, they feel like I'm broken, I have nothing to offer, um, my life is over? What advice would you give to that person? Well, I would give to that person is that, first of all, healing is your birthright. It is. It is part of the DNA that's inside of them. And to tap into that is, you know, my greatest joy is to encourage people that they do have a, a purpose here on this earth. Because so many times people think that they don't. And they really, really do. Going back to, a, you know, from a faith perspective, nobody is on this planet by accident. And so 
to, you know, that's why I'm just so, you know, vulnerable and authentic about my struggle because I want people to know no matter what you've gone through, no matter how bad you think it is, you know, we want to validate that. We want to let you know that we hear you, but we also want to let you know that there's hope and hope is just not a hashtag that we throw out there. Hope is a reality. Hope is something that's obtainable. Um, but you got to hope in yourself first, you know, going back to the, you know, to the faith piece, David, who was, you know, God say was his favorite, but David wasn't no joke. David was a murderer. David, David did some stuff. And one time David had to, had to tell himself, why are you so cast down? You know, put your hope in God. And so I, I just want to tell people, you know, to find out, you know, where your hope lies and put mm. your hope in that, put your faith in that and know that you are not a mistake that you have, you have purpose here on this earth and that healing is your birthright and you deserve that and you are worth that. Yeah, thank you so gotta much. Let people know that they're worth it, Vic. We gotta let people know that. We gotta let, we gotta let people know. Tanya, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being my guest today. Every time I talk to you, my heart is so full afterward. Um, and you know, it, it just it, it just really encourages me to want to continue to do this work when I know that I'm doing it alongside people like you. So thank you so much. Oh, uh, no, you know, I've been stalking. Yeah, I stalked you for years. So, you know, <laughs> just, I'm just excited that we get to do this work together, brother, because really, uh, it's an honor to serve alongside of you for real. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you to all, all of our audience for joining us today. Thank you. Behavioral health interventions have historically lacked cultural competence, including outpatient therapy, crisis services, and everything in between. They've lacked equity. Even when I hear the terminology applying the lens of equity, I would submit to you that that is insufficient. See, your lens is marked and distorted by your perception of equity and collaboration and reasonable expectations. So I challenge us not to be satisfied with applying the lens of equity but the voice of equity. Apply the voice of equity, equity, not only as it pertains to race and culture and ethnicity, but the intersectionality of race, culture and ethnicity and sexual orientation and gender identity and socioeconomic status and physical disability in addition to living with mental health challenges. Interventions and responses should be person-centered. If you do not understand or acknowledge the impact of cultural beliefs, including stigma and relationships with law enforcement or the impact of structural racism on the life and perception of the communities that we attempt to serve, that intervention may in fact do more harm than good. It may even become another traumatic event that community has to carry. And if any of us believe that we can build an infrastructure first and address equity later, that is not only folly, it is intentional and willful blindness. Equity will only exist when in every step we acknowledge who has been disproportionately impacted, whether by lack of access or negative outcome, and we involve those impacted communities as partners in building our processes and crafting the message and as trusted messengers. And that is strong talk. What's the word? What's the word? Word, word, strong talk, strong talk. What's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Yeah, yeah. What's the word? Strong talk, strong talk.